Okay, again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midian, Midianites, Alamites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravish it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. He said, that is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Israel, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the land of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. It's interesting, the hymn writer says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And as he writes that, he says, Deep within my heart, I feel this wanderingness in there that always makes me want to walk away from God. But then he says, take my heart and seal it. And unless the Holy Spirit comes into your life and seals you, you walk away from him. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit as he comes in and he seals you. And I think that's what he's talking about. Take my heart and seal it. And then you will be faithful to God because the Holy Spirit does that in your life. Um... Uh, we are looking at uh, the book of Judges, summertime, uh, summertime preaching, and uh, this is uh, the weirdest book in the Bible, and uh, it is about the children of Israel uh, continually disobeying God, wandering from Him, pursuing other gods and other idols, and God punishing them for it, them crying out for help. And God, over and over again, responding to his people with his faithfulness and his grace, sending a deliverer, a, a deliverer, a savior who saves them. And uh, today we're going to begin the story of Gideon. If you go to the next slide. Uh, the story today is about uh, the children of Israel once again doing evil. And so God sends a foreign power in to punish them. And in your text, I think verse 2 and 3 talks about the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the children of the east. And uh, they come to the valley of Jezreel. And last week we looked at the valley of Jezreel. The valley of Jezreel runs between the tribe in the middle, that's Manasseh, that's half of Manasseh, and above Right at the top of the yellow is the valley. And it touches the light green, that dark purple, and dark green. 
and the valley runs right along that border. And uh, it runs from the east to the west, from the Mediterranean over to the Jordan River. It's the biggest valley in Israel today. That's where all their agriculture is. It's a very lush, uh, great place to be valley. And the Bedouin, which is the Midianites and the children of the east, the Bedouin come in and that's where they camp. And they especially come at harvest time. And uh, so the children of Israel, they're, they're, they're doing their work. The wheat crop is just about ready to come off. And if I was the Bedouin, I would wait for half of the crop to come off. I want you to do half the work for me. <laughs> and then they swoop in on their camels and they steal all the produce that has been harvested. They steal the sheep, they steal the cattle, and they steal the donkeys. And uh, then they leave. And then they come back for the next harvest. And then they leave. Then they come back for the next harvest. For seven years, that's what they do. And they especially come and they camp in that valley. And from the valley, they can just branch out into the hillside and take all the produce that they want. And uh, that is the story. And, of course, this is a modern new invention, the use of camels in warfare. And uh, it is hard to combat that. Uh, it's kind of like uh, when the Vikings were so prominent. Uh, it was hard to defend yourself from the Vikings because they were on ships. And they could land almost anywhere. And you couldn't prepare for that. And you couldn't be protected for it. Uh, one year they would come in uh, 10 miles up the coast. And the next year they would come in 10 miles down the coast. And they come in, they take what they want, they get back in their ship and leave. Well, that's kind of like the Bedouins are doing, except they're not in ships. They're on camels and they're in tents. And they swoop in, they take what they want, and then they leave. And it, it happens year after year after year after year. Let's go to the next slide. These are the major judges in the book of Judges. Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, Barak, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson. They increase in their problems in their lives as judges, even though God sends them to deliver them. The illustration I thought of was uh, this. Um, God is reaching out his hand to save his people, but in doing so, he grabs a tool. But he doesn't always have the best tools. This past week, uh, I had, was it this week we had the roof shingled? This past week. Yeah, they shingled this, this week. And it's funny, as they're up there on the roof, they use an automatic automatic nail gun. goes fast. Sometimes you can hear it. Boom, 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 boom. Nail on the roof. Job goes quick. Well, imagine if they had to use an old wooden mallet hammer. And you take out one nail at a time. Boom. And a wooden mallet hammer wouldn't be that good of a hammer. But if that's all the tool you've got, that's what you use. It doesn't go that well. When we built the stage here, uh, we used uh, battery screw guns, battery-powered screw guns. Richard had some beautiful screw guns with uh, some hammer, hammer power action. They were very light. They went in fast. Now imagine if I had to use a screwdriver and put each screw by, by hand with a screwdriver. We'd still be here. 
putting in those screws. Uh, so you reach out your hand, and, and depending on how good your tool is, that's kind of how, how the job goes. Well, God reaches out his hand to save his people, and he grabs a tool from his people, and you find that some of the tools are flawed. In fact, all of the tools are flawed. Every single tool. Kind of like what happens in real life today, right? He reaches out to save Sarnia, and he comes into Huron Baptist Church, and he grabs somebody, and he uses David Ben. Well, guess what? David Ben's got problems. <laughs> and he doesn't just reach out and use me. He reaches out and uses you. And guess what? The tool's not perfect. But God can still save and do the job, not because of the perfect tool, but because of who he is. And that's true. That's, you see that in the book of Judges. He's delivering his wicked people because they cry out to him. But as he grabs a wicked person from amongst the people, they're not perfect. He's grabbing imperfect tools to do a holy job and save his people. I remember that because as I read the story of Gideon, you will see Gideon is not a perfect tool. Um, this is the cycle of the judges. Um, the, the Israelites again do evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord gives them over to oppressors in chapter 6. That's the Midianites, the Amalekites, and children of the east. Israel cries out to the Lord, Lord, help us. The Lord raises up a deliverer, and he saves them, and then the land has peace. If you go to the next slide. Uh, these are the flawed saviors. Ehud, the left-handed judge, uses deception. Barak, he needs assistance. He needs Deborah to come with him, otherwise he won't do it. And finally, he needs jail to take out the other guy, the other army's general. Gideon, you will see he lacks courage. And at the end of the story, you'll find he is corrupted by personal ambition. Jephthah is recklessly rash, and Samson is full of problems, uh, sexual weakness and lack of self-control. Um, do I have another slide on there? Okay, one more slide. These are the lessons from last week. They're the same lessons this week. Number one, be willing and able to serve the Lord. He is looking for people to stand up and serve him and save others. Be willing and able to serve. Uh, what happens in Israel is people go, it's not my problem. I'm not good enough. I don't have all the tools. Let somebody else do it. Uh, it's not my job. That's the pastor's job. <laughs> Let somebody else do it. Book of Judges is about you need to be willing. Ready, able to serve. Number two, God can use anybody. And notice I said that means you. <laughs> that means you. God can use anybody. That means you. Uh, thirdly, be obedient. We'll see that in the story. Number four, this is true of the book of Judges. The hero is not Gideon. The Lord is the hero. You'll see that in the story. And the writer of Judges goes out of his way for you to see that. 
that Gideon is not heroic and that it is actually God who is the hero. And then finally, the Lord will save you. He sent the Savior. And I think the reason why we have the book of Judges in our Bible is because Judges shows you a human being is not the answer because they are flawed tools. And so eventually what happens is God says, people really need to be saved. I'm going to send the perfect tool. And so he sends his son into this world who is absolutely perfect, the perfect leader, the perfect, the one who is in most obedience to him, and he saves us through Jesus Christ, the perfect, the perfect leader. Okay, you can turn that off. The rest of it we'll just do through the text. If you have your Bibles or your bulletin, please take it out, follow along with me. I'll make comments through the text, starting in verse 1. We've talked about this, but please bear with me. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years he gave them, gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Midianites are people who live like the Bedouin. They live in tents and they're nomadic. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So now we've got increasing problems. It's so bad that we have to live in the mountains, we have to keep our goods in caves, and we have to hide stuff. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. There's piles of them. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. If all else fails, pray. <laughs> when the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them, notice this is a little different, he sent them a prophet. Normally he sends a savior, a deliverer. This time he does something different, he sends a prophet. It's time to tell you exactly why these things happen. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt, from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you. I gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Disobeyed him. I am the Lord your God. Brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What's the first commandment? Okay, now the Ten Commandments are things you should know. Right? Is that right? How many of you think you should know the Ten Commandments? How many, how many of you say, I, sh I don't need to know them? Okay, everybody says you need to know them. So commandment number one is what? 
You shall have no other gods before me. <laughs> this is simple, right? That's, if you don't know the first one, we got a problem. <laughs> we got to go back to kindergarten, right? But this is, that's basic, basic, uh, basic Christianity, basic monotheism. Uh, this you should know at least commandment number one. Please tell me that. Right? You shall have no other gods before me. Now it really means don't have any other gods at all. I'm the only god. There should be no other god. They couldn't even keep commandment number one. Now I think what happens is they continue to worship God but they worship all kinds of other gods, too. It's kind of like if one god is good, 30 gods, that's really good. I'm really religious. <laughs> You're not getting more religious with more gods. You're actually getting less religious. You have not listened to me. You'll see in the story. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Sam sees it's funny. It is funny. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's threshing wheat in the winepress because he's afraid. You thresh wheat at the wine press because the Midianites aren't going to be looking for you threshing wheat at the wine press. It's not the time of year to be stomping on the grapes. It's the time of year to harvest wheat, but instead, Gideon's smart. Hey, they're going to look for me if I thresh wheat where I, by, by, by the threshing place. I'm going to take the wheat. I'm going to go to the wine press where I can hide among the grapevines, and there I'm going to thresh the wheat because I'm scared. And the angel shows up and says, God is with you, mighty warrior. And you can almost see Gideon going, who are you talking to? <laughs> are you talking to me? Uh, God, of course, sees that he is a mighty warrior because God is with him. He doesn't know that God's with him. He doesn't see that. So he doesn't believe he's a mighty warrior. I could say the same thing to you. You are a mighty warrior, and you can do great things for God. You can. You can. Because God is with you. What else do you need? Really? Do you need anything else? You don't need anything else. You don't need any talents. You could be untalented. You don't have to be good with words. You could be, I was going to say a bumbling idiot, but I don't think that's what I want to say. You could be poor with words. Those are not needed. What you need, you've got. God is with you. So you are infinitely capable. Infinitely capable. We don't see ourselves that way, do we? No. Most of us, we see, you know, something I'm not that capable. 
We don't see ourselves as infinitely capable because we don't see that God, the infinite source of wisdom and the infinite source of strength and ability, capability, he's the one who is with us. And notice Gideon's response. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Uh, Verse 13, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now we, the reader, know why. He just told us. The prophet came and says, This has happened because you did not listen to me and you have served other gods. That's why this has happened. And Gideon is kind of like, like, Why is life so hard? If God is really with me, why do I have to thresh wheat in the wine press? Right? If God is with us, why are all these bad things happening to us? If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when he said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Gideon's theology is terrible. In some ways he's right. God has done it. What he doesn't see is that they've deserved it and that God is trying to bring them back to him. It's the grace of God that is doing this so that his people will turn back to him. Otherwise, if God did nothing, Israel would not exist today. There would be no Jews today if God doesn't do anything. Because if God does nothing, they become just like everyone else around them. They become Amorites. They become Canaanites. There's nothing to distinguish them. There's no more celebration of the Passover. Eventually they would just lose that. Verse 14, Lord's response. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And so what does God say? How does he say? He says, you just go, take the ability you have, and you're going to save my people. Am I not sending you? See, that's a question in my Bible. Is that a question in your Bible? Am I not sending you? What's the answer to that question? Am I not sending you? What's the answer? Yes. God's sending me. So away I go. So you go in the strength you have. Now, here's, this is great. Gideon doesn't need to go find a sword and start practicing. That's what I would do. <laughs> God wants me to save his people from the Midianites. I better go practice some spear throwing, try to hit a target, get out my bow and arrow, get out my sling, start practicing, get out my sword, start practicing cuts, working on my muscles. He doesn't have to do that. God says you're ready. Go in the strength you have and save my people. Now, if you don't know anything about Gideon, um, you will see that Gideon needs... um, Gideon is worse than... uh, Gideon's worse than Barak. Barak said, I won't go unless you, Deborah, go with me. Gideon's worse... He needs more consoling and more assurances from God before he'll do what God tells him to do. Verse 15. 
but Lord. That's not the good way to start a response to God. But Lord, uh, there's something you might not know. Uh, Maybe you haven't taken all the factors into account. But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Gideon's idea, when God says, you go and save Israel, his idea is that the way you save them is by having the most people. And that if you have the most people, you're the strongest clan, then that means others will join you, and then you can go and do the job. That's, that's his thinking. If we have the most, and if the numbers add up, and I can see the numbers, then we're good. And then he says, well, there's even a bigger problem. I'm not even that important in my own family. In my own family, I'm way down the list. How can I do it? The Lord's answer. Now, by the way, this is not new information. God's already told him this. This is just reassurances. God holding his hand. The Lord answered, verse 16, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. I think, in verse 17. Verse 17 should have said, and so Gideon did it. That's what it should have said. That's not what it says. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Like, who does he think he's talking to? I need you to prove to me that you're God. That's what he's saying. And if you can't prove that you're God, I'm not going to do it. Um, give me a sign. It's re- you're really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back. Bring my offering and set it before you. The Lord says, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, took an ephah of flour, and he made bread without yeast. Uh, matzah, matzah bread putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot he brought them out and offered to him under the oak the angel of God said to him take the meat and the unleavened bread place them on the rock and pour out the broth Gideon did so with the tip of the staff that was in his hand the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread fire flared up from the rock consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When, angel, when, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He thinks he's, not, he thinks he's seen God face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. Uh, Usually, when the angel of the Lord appears in the Old Testament, that is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. That's what I think. Not everybody thinks that. I think that's what I think. And I'm always fascinated 
Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. You always wonder, what's he doing before he becomes a baby and becomes a man and goes to the cross? What in the world is he doing? Well, here's what he's doing. He's the one who comes down from heaven and appears to people. In this case, he appears to Gideon. He appeared to Abraham. He appears to Isaiah. It's Jesus Christ who does that, the pre-incarnate Son of God. And here he is appearing to Gideon, and it's his gentleness and his uh, long-sufferingness that puts up with all Gideon's shenanigans. That's, that's our Jesus. He's wonderful. He really is. Sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He thinks he's going to die. The Lord said to him, Peace, shalom. Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace, or Yahweh Shalom. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Ebezrites. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. Cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants, did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Make a few comments. Now you see why God has sent the Midianites. Here's, here's Gideon. His own family worships, worships idols. They have an altar where they make sacrifices to Baal. And right beside the altar to Baal, they have an Asherah pole, which is the female goddess. And so there you have the male god and the female goddess, and they're worshiping those, they're worshiping that way. Um, Gideon is supposed to tear down the altar, and he's supposed to take his dad's second best bull, sacrifice it on an altar to God, using the Asherah pole that he cuts down as the wood for the sacrifice. Uh, when I was about 20, maybe 21, uh, my, my father had this beautiful rubber hose that was like 75 feet long, garden hose, green, but beautiful, beautiful rubber hose, one of those kinds that never twists and you never get a kink in it, uh, a, an expensive hose. And uh, I needed some hose, and so I went and cut his hose. And I took 20 feet of the hose. And he said to me, he said, why did you cut my hose? And I said, well, I only needed 20 feet. Oh, he was mad. He was mad that I cut his hose. And uh, I, I can see today why he was so mad. At the time, I didn't think a big deal of it because it's his hose. It wasn't mine. <laughs> but I cut, I, cut, I cut 20 feet of his hose. I used it, and I brought it back to him. And, uh, yeah, he was not happy. Gideon... <laughs> in the middle of the night is taking his dad's second best bull and he's sacrificing it. It's the kind of thing that you should go to your dad and say, Dad, we should serve God and I'm going to sacrifice the second bull to God. 
and God told me to tear down the idols. That's what I'm going to do. But he was afraid. He's afraid to talk to his family about it. So he did it while everyone was sleeping. Obeyed God, but he was so scared, he, d- he didn't tell them why. And he did it in the middle of the night, tore down the, uh, tore, tore down the altar, built a new altar, chopped up the Asherah pole, sacrificed his dad's second best bull on the offering, and that's way worse than chopping up a rubber hose. Uh, his dad would have been mad because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town. He was afraid of his family and the men of the town. He wouldn't even tell his dad, wouldn't even tell anybody else in his family. He did it at night. In the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, the Asherah pole beside it cut down, the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar, cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Now these are, these are children of Israel we're talking about here who are saying, let's kill him because he broke down the idol. Let's kill him. He broke down the Asherah pole. Let's kill him because he destroyed that altar and built an altar to God. Let's kill Gideon. Verse 31. But Joshua replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him, save Baal? Whoever fights for Baal shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that, so that day they called Gideon Jerob Baal. Jerob means let him contend or let, let him defend Baal. Saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. It's funny, as he breaks down the idol and he breaks up the altar, and the next day they come and they want to kill him, his dad has to save him. Gideon. I think he's hiding still. Uh, next time we're going to finish the story of Gideon. But let me say this. As God reaches out his hand to save his people, and he reaches out for a tool, he often has to use an imperfect tool. That's you, and that's me. And I hope you can see yourself in Gideon. Uh, Gideon is not perfect. We're like Gideon. And thankfully, God is patient and gracious to use us and to hold us by the hand. In the 1920s, the largest Christian evangelist in the world was a Canadian woman by the name of Amy Semple McPherson. And Amy Semple McPherson had built a church in Los Angeles And it sat 5,300 people. And it was often packed. And she would often do revivals where there would be 30,000 people who would show up to hear Amy Semple McPherson preach and speak. Uh, But Amy was not a perfect tool. Amy was married to be a missionary, went to China. And when they went to China, 
actually they went to Hong Kong and she and her husband got malaria her husband died they returned to the states so she re- re- she remarried and uh, she married a businessman and uh, finally a few years after, into this second marriage she wanted to go and preach and uh, do evangelistic services and her husband was okay with it but finally her husband got tired of it and he went and he said it's time for you to come home uh, we're not a family when we're always on the road she said no I'm going to keep preaching so she got a divorce uh, she would marry a third time in 1931 she would be married to him for three years and they, then they would divorce uh, he, she would divorce him uh, in the 1920s uh, there was a time when she disappeared and nobody knew where she went she was the pastor of this large church and nobody could find her for weeks and months finally they found her in the desert in a shack she claimed that she had been kidnapped and uh, they were holding her for ransom and uh, yet the press said that she had run away with another man uh, she was friends with Hollywood and in fact she looked like a Hollywood star and so all those early film stars were her friends and she even had a haircut to, to make her look like uh, Mary Pickford and some of the other famous Hollywood actresses and uh, it's strange with all of those problems in her life God used her and God used her to bring people to himself she established a denomination, Four Square Gospel. We used to have a Four Square Gospel church in our town. Uh, it's no longer there. But she started the Four Square Gospel de- denomination. Today it has thousands of churches in it all around the world. Uh, the most famous Four Square Gospel pastor today is Jack Hayford. He wrote the song, Majesty, Worship His Majesty, which we sing. We sing that often. Well-known song. But it's interesting that God, as he reached down to save people, picks up a tool, Amy Semple McPherson, an imperfect tool. And you could look at her and you could say, God can't use that. There's problems there. But God can use our imperfections and us as imperfect people. He can use us. Because God is the hero, not us. The same thing's true for you today. You might say, I'm not capable. I'm too afraid. I can't be used by God. And he is saying, I want to use you. I want to use you. And do you know why he can? Because he will be with you. And he tells you, go in the strength you have and save people.